You know, I can't think of, speaking of a message on worship and the relationship that God's word, say the Bible, plays, I can't think of a more beautiful text than Psalm 19. But it's also, as we'll see in a few minutes, a very practical text. And I would even say, when it comes to what it means to worship God in relative or in, in vis-a-vis his word, uh, one that packs a punch, okay? It's not just beautiful words about uh, the words of God, but I think it packs a punch. It, it, that is to say, if we have ears to hear uh, what these words actually say to us. Now, the psalm... Uh, is really in three parts. The first part is verse one through six. Is It's the general revelation. You've heard this before, right? You know, uh, even without words, when words are not spoken, you can look at the, uh, the natural phenomenon or we, one ought to look at the natural phenomenon, right? You know, the, the heavens declare the glory of God. The sun is coming out of its tent, out of the clouds. It's saying something. Without a word being spoken, without the Bible even being opened, you and I ought to be able to gather some information Information, some sense about the revelation of God, that he is real, that he exists, that he created the world. So the first six verses, the writer of the 19th Psalm, in a poetic way, talks about what we would call general revelation. Then he begins in verse 7, really just in a few verses, four verses, and he talks about the unique relationship, the unique role of the written word. We call that special revelation. In other words, you can't look at a tree and learn the actual nature of God, the characteristics of God, the purpose of God, the will of God, right? You may discern that God exists and it starts there. We may know something about his character because of the beauty of nature, but we need the written revelation. We call that special revelation, the written word. And then the last few verses really talks about the application of how this word is supposed to change us, right? First thing uh, that I think, my first point that I think this whole psalm says to us is God's word provides everything we need as life intended it. Now, my, really the question I want you to think about and ask yourself, you got up and came to church this morning, is do you believe that, right? Is it just something you do on Sunday? Is it something, do you know, to fine-tune your life to help you make tough decisions? Or does God's word, this is what the psalmist is gonna say, I believe this with all of my heart, provides everything you need for life as God intended it. Even a wordless revelation, if we just look at the nature itself, right? There is no speech, no words that are spoken by the clouds or by the sun, has something to say if you are open to it, right? about the reality and nature of God. I was uh, in the Adirondacks this last week with my family, my, my adult siblings, their kids, the family, and we had a, one of the greatest conversations um, that I've had in a long time with my uh, adult siblings. All of them were there, I think, except one who went, went to bed early, uh, about the struggle to believe in God in a world that I claim, that some of us claim he created, that's so broken. This was, I don't even remember exactly how it started. We were having a conversation about how does one believe in God? My family has some mix, some Christians, some non-Christians. How are we supposed to believe in God who created a world that is so obviously broken? And it was a very interesting discussion, very respectful, although strong opinions all around the table. But it was great uh, for me uh, to have this conversation in the context of the beautiful environment 
uh, of the Adirondacks, right? It helped. Listen to these words from the New Testament, Romans chapter 1, verse 20. Romans chapter 1, verse 20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, what? His eternal power, his divine nature, something about his power, something about his nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Now, it's so interesting, you know, uh, it's not, as I said, that you could stare at the trees, you could stare at the mountains, you could stare at, at the beauty of, let's say, the, the mountains and the Adirondacks. Go, geez, you know, John 3, 16, I'm not necessarily saying that. But as you're open to looking at what God created, there is something about the natural phenomenon that says, even though this doesn't make sense and that doesn't make sense in my life and in the world, that there is something beyond me, beyond you, beyond the beauty and the intelligence of human beings that created the world the next night. We were just sitting. So this conversation went on. We didn't resolve anything, but I thought it was very rich. The next night, we were sitting outside. That conversation was indoors around, you know, the fire pit, typical kind of camp thing. And there was a moon rise, a clear night. I forget what night it was, last Wednesday, I think. And we watched the moon rise. That's what they call it anyway. And for about two hours, from about 9.30 to 11.30, we were sitting out there. But when it starts... When it's lower on the horizon, it has this sort of reddish-orange look to it because of the, its relationship to the atmosphere. I, I looked that up on Wikipedia. But anyway, <laughs> its relationship to the atmosphere. I'm looking at Craig over there somewhere. Correct me, right? Uh, but anyway, um, as we were looking at it, this orange moon was reflected in the lake, and it was so beautiful. And I just sort of blurted out, thinking of the night before, and I said, I, I don't know how. To this group around the fire. You could look at that right in front of us and not think that something more intelligent created you and created me, something that understands that kind of beauty. When I said it, it was sort of spontaneous. I wasn't being preachy. I wasn't trying to do anything other than just simply respond to what was before me. This is what the psalmist is saying as he's preparing us to understand the nature of what the word of God does in our lives. The heaven declares the glory of God. But it's interesting, back to Psalm 19. The written word gives us much more to say, but even in the, in the, in the natural revelation, we can learn something about the character of God. He talks about the heavens. He talks about, you know, the clouds. But then he says this in verse 5. It's like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber like a champion rejoicing to run his course. In the New Testament, we know Jesus is called the bridegroom. Clearly, I think this is a metaphor for God, his revelation to us. Even when it's not in words, it's like a bridegroom who comes out of his chamber, rejoices to run his course, makes a circuit that nothing is deprived of his warmth. What does that mean? Translation, in other words, God loves you. He comes after you as a bridegroom. That's a pretty tender metaphor, right? We're talking about bridegroom and bride. We're talking about love. We're talking about intimacy. Christ, we are the bride of Christ. God comes after us to meet all of our needs for life and human thriving. That's what the psalmist is saying. Even nature tells us that. But when we get into the written revelation, verse 7, it gets even better, right? 
verse seven through nine. Six statements are made. I'm not gonna go over them all, but I'd encourage you to do that, right? Six statements. The law of the Lord is several things. The law of the Lord is trustworthy. The law of the Lord, that is the word of God, brings joy to the heart. The law of the Lord brings insight, right? Gives light to the eyes. The law of the Lord, verse nine, all of them are righteous, right? Now, what six statements about the law of God, six benefits that it brings to us, right? Joy of the heart, a sense of enlightenment. But even here, it says the law of the Lord, all of them are righteous. Now, that's such an interesting word. I want to take just a minute to talk about it. Because when we and I hear the word righteous, right, it's taken on a different meaning. We often think of self-righteous. We don't like the word righteous because it reminds us of people who are, you know, think that they're smarter than us or they're, they're superior to us. It's sort of a self-righteous kind of a thing. But the word righteous, as you see it in the Bible, Old Testament, New, simply means a sort of a wooden translation might be straight edge. And what it means is this, the laws of the Lord give us a guide, give us absolute truth about life, about God, and about who we are. And you might say, well, boy, do we really need to look to the Bible to discern what is right and what isn't wrong? Isn't what is right and wrong, isn't that obvious, Robin? It's so interesting because that's really how our conversation with my family started. What is your, 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 um, your, your measure for what is right and what is wrong? And I would say to you, yes, we do need God's word. I need God's word. And we could not have come up with a more fresh example of asking ourselves what is right and what is wrong than what took place in this country in the last 24 hours, right? I think most of you have probably seen what took place in Charlottesville, Virginia, right? Who would have ever dreamed, you know, in our own country in the 21st century. And people have been making a lot of meaning about all of these, you know, the, the, these photographs of these largely white men with these torches saying things that were said 50 or 60 years ago about race in this country, things that you would never dream somebody would say. And I get by the way, that this is more than about the worst of what the paper says it is. It's, it's more than about this sort of what we'd call this, this, this polarized point of view about race in America. Yes, it's exacerbated, you know, by a, a challenged and growing and accelerating economy. We know what that, but let me say this. So it's, it's not a simple issue. It's not, as, it's, it's not as simple or as ugly only as the papers make it. But let me say something very clear. What is right? What is wrong? The words of the Lord are righteous. Racism. But what do we mean by racism? That is to judge people by the color of their skin or their background. To judge someone simply because of the color of their skin or because of their background is absolute evil. It's a sin against God, and you and I should not be afraid to stand up and say so, okay? Right? The law of the Lord is righteous, right? Yes, it's a complicated issue. But let me tell you, this pastor, been a Christian for 35 years, I could very easily in my own heart come up with places of bias and prejudice. It didn't take very much. I need the Lord. God's words provides everything we need for life as we intended. Do you believe that? Do I believe that? It's refreshing, it's restoring, it's converting. When he says the law of the Lord is perfect, he's not talking about moral perfection, although it may be that. He's saying it's complete. 
It's comprehensive. The law of the Lord is comprehensive, verse 7. It converts the soul. That is, it contains the truth, and it contains the authority to bring about the true change in my heart, that, the true change in my life that nothing else in this world can do. Do you believe that? Do I believe? But let me tell you what. It begins, speaking of white flag, with a conscious choice to submit yourself, not only to read it, but to accept what it says and to yield your life to it, right? God's word provides everything we need for life as he intended it. Second, if you believe that, the Bible, if the Bible is not changing your assumptions, it's possible you're not really hearing it, right? This is really uh, the heart of this message this morning. If the Bible is not changing your assumptions, it's possible you're not really hearing it. In other words, are you and I just passive agents of God's word? Again, I'm making a big assumption because you all got up and came to church this morning. Lots of people didn't in this community. That you have some respect for the word of God, you're listening to it. Perhaps you even read it. But you need to do more than simply read the word of God. You need to allow the word of God to read you. You need to believe it as you come to it. Not only is it God's word, it's living and it's active and it can change your life. Do you see it that way? Do I see it that way? There's one pastor that I respect and watch when I can. Uh, 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 and, and if you go to his uh, website, he's a very popular uh, communicator. He, he's done this over the last year or two. You go, before you get to the sermon, he comes up and he says, listen, I'm so glad you came to listen to my sermon today, and I hope you may get something out of it. He said, listen, if you don't belong to a church, if you're not involved in a local church, if you're not engaged with other people really trying to make your faith, uh, to, to own it and engage it and to live it out, don't listen to this sermon because it's not going to do you any good because being a Christian, the Word of God isn't just some sort of entertainment. It's not something simply to, the, to passively wash over us. It's supposed to read us. It's supposed to change the nature of our lives. Let me give you a New Testament non-poetic version of the 19th Psalm, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. Think about your own life and your relationship with the Word of God. For the Word of God is alive, and active. This is this. Do you believe that? Okay, it's a pretty powerful statement. Sharper than any double-edged sword. Now, this is a metaphor, but he's making a point. It penetrates to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Three simple metaphors. All he's saying is it's it's deep. It goes deeper than anything else. It goes deeper than romantic love. It goes deeper than, you know, inspiration. It goes deeper than philosophy. It goes deeper than anything else that you are out there available to you. If you really want to experience change in your life, you need to expose yourself to the Word of God. But you're not going to do that if you don't believe it's alive and it's active. Verse 13, nothing, nothing in all creation, it's part of the point of Psalm 90, or excuse me, 19, verses 1 through 6. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight, right? Nothing. Everything is uncovered and laid bare. That's the painful part. Before the eyes of him of whom we must give account. 
It's a perfect parallel. Now, some people look at that verse and say, well, that's what scares me so much about the Bible. That's what scares me about faith. I don't want to get closer to God because who wants to have your whole life laid bare before him but knowing God, if you know who he is, it shouldn't move you away from him. It ought to move you closer to him because he is not just all powerful. We said this last week. He loves you. Now, let me give you something that you're going to have to take my word for it, okay, as a, someone who, who studied the scriptures, who, you know, uh, knows a thing or two about Hebrew. Uh, but in the 19th Psalm, in the first six verses, God is mentioned twice, and the term God that is mentioned is the Hebrew term, um, the, the translation would be Elohim, and it's the general name for God, right? It's the general name for God. In verses 7 through 14, L-O-R-D, capital L-O-R-D, that word is used seven times. It's the covenant name for God. The transliteration is Yahweh. And let me tell you what the difference is. God, he reigns on the, the, the just and the unjust. The sun shines on the just and the unjust. There's the God, you know, for, you know, uh, uh, the Pledge of Allegiance kind of a God. He's a God for everybody. Some of us know God, the general, uh, that God exists. But then the word Yahweh, you know when that word first came into the scriptures? At the burning bush. When Moses said, listen, yes, I know you, but I don't know you well enough. And I can't go any further unless you really tell me who you are. And God says, okay, I'm going to tell you who I am. My name is Yahweh. It's the covenant name of God. It's the name that God reveals to people who are in a committed relationship with him. And this is the God that goes after us. This is the God who loves us despite our sin. The problem with many of us, I think, in a message series about worship, is we know God, capital G-O-D, but we do not know the Lord, right? My challenge to you is not only reading the Bible, but are you allowing the Bible to read you? Are you reading it consistently? Are you reading it prayerfully? Are you reading it carefully, expecting God to change you through it, right? Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must have account. Ultimately, God knows everything about you. But in this life, if you want to see transformation take place, you and I need to participate in that process. We need to expose ourselves, open ourselves up to the word of God where true change can take place. This last week, I was... Um, before I went on vacation, I, was, I cut my finger really bad. Probably can't see this Band-Aid on here, but I cut my finger, cutting a bagel. And it was okay, you know, I just kind of fixed it, and, you know, I, mean, I don't even know if I put a Band-Aid on it. But by the time I got to the Adirondacks last week, last Tuesday or Wednesday, it had scabbed up, well, no big deal, but then I noticed all of a sudden around the cut, it began to get kind of purplish, you know. I mean, in other words, it was kind of infected, it went from feeling like it was over and all of a sudden, it, you know, there was, it even didn't look good, you know? And I said to my sister, you know, she's my resident, you know, medical person because she's a, she's a nurse, and I said, uh, hey, you know, Mary Jo, what do you think? It just seems weird. And she said, well, obviously it's infected. It's got infected. I said, okay, well, you know, what do we do? And she says, this is what we need to do. She said, um, you need to pull, you just need to rip that scab off <laughs> and then we'll put some Neosporin on it and put a Band-Aid on it. Now, my first thought was, that's a dumb idea, you know, rip the scab <laughs> off. That's why scabs are there, right? But honestly, the other thought I had was, I don't really want to rip that off, you know? <laughs> hey, it's going to hurt, right? But of course, I had, I couldn't, 
uh, I couldn't, you know, say that, right? <laughs> so I kind of gritted my teeth and ripped it off, okay? And I put on the Band-Aid, and in a day and a half, it, the, you know, the, the, the wrong, the color got better, right? But so you got you to be willing to do that, right? You got to be willing to open yourself up to the word of God. That's what, that's what this writer's saying. The word of God is alive and active. Listen, some of you aren't even reading it every day, right? I mean, you're eating every day. You're drinking every day. You're sleeping most days, okay? Are you reading the word of God, right? If you are not in allowing it to read you prayerfully, carefully, and coming with a sense of expectation to change you, then there's something wrong with your worship. He, the Lord might, God might be your general God, G-O-D. I believe in God. I checked the box, but he's, I don't have a committed relationship with him. That's what I'm inviting you to do today. Well, how do you do it? It's very simple, guys. Come on. It means some of you, uh, read, 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 our, read along with us. Go onto the app right now. Go onto the website. The, the, the work that's put into this, to the daily readings, some videos that were on there, I've watched one a couple days ago from the book of Chronicles last week, was phenomenal, right? Get into the word of God. If you want to more sophisticated, you, you, you want to go deeper, go to the Bible app, right? Download the U versions right off of our app. There are so many Bible reading plans out there. It's unbelievable, unbelievable. Uh, that you can take advantage of and use every single day. We're going to start a series this fall in the book of Nehemiah, um, and we're going to. It's going to be. The, 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 we're going to prepare studies for eight weeks that I think will be some of the best stuff that we've ever done. But you know what? You can go beyond what we're going to do on Sunday morning. You need to get a small group and get involved in studying the Word of God with other people. Our, we're going to do this as men on Thursday mornings, women on Monday. Just in other words, take the next step, right? The Word of God has everything that God wants for our lives, everything that we need for the life God intended. Second, the Bible is not, if it's not changing your assumptions, it's possible you are not really hearing it, right? Is it changing your assumptions about racism? Is it changing your assumptions about how you spend your money? Is it changing your assumptions about how you spend your time? Is it changing your assumptions about the commitments in your marriage? Is it changing your assumptions about sexual purity, about integrity at your job? Listen, about sharing your faith with lost people because it's possible that maybe you're just a Christian in name only as you haven't cultivated a genuine worship relationship with God. Listen, if people, I say this to my, I just moved into a new neighborhood. So I'm asking myself this question. If people are not following you, and I don't mean that in some cultic way, but I mean that are interested in what you have to say, are not piqued by how you spend your time, are not challenged by the way that you live your life, if people are not following you, it's perhaps because you're not following him, right? That's what, that's, that's what Psalm 19 challenges us with. Last but not least, these last verses, if you want to experience change, you need to have a grown-up relationship with God's Word. That's how this psalm really ends. It's not just poetry. By keeping them, your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. But you know what's so interesting about the 10th verse? I didn't read that. Some of us don't believe. This, if, if, if this is true, this is what it says. 
The Bible is not only the most valuable thing that you and I have, more precious than pure gold, it's also the most pleasurable thing. It's sweeter than honey and the honeycomb. Let me say this. I don't know that anybody has arrived. I mean, I haven't arrived as a Christian. I would assume there's no one here that's arrived. Your, your Christian growth is a lifelong process. But I would say this, you know, uh, to the degree that any of us arrive, to get there, it would be if these two things are true in your life. If you wonder if you've really got there, if you're, you're on the right path, is the word of God, okay? I'm not in some mystical way, not in some, you know, uh, up on a shelf kind of way, but I mean, in your everyday life, is it, number one, the most valuable thing in your life, number one? It's more precious than gold, and is it, in a manner of speaking, sweeter than honey into the honeycomb? Is it the most pleasurable thing? That is, the thing that cuts deeper into your heart than any other thing that gives you joy, that brings you hope, that gives you a sense of um, life, right? That's what, the, that, that's what this is saying. And let me say this. Very important to get this. The word of God, the law of God, is not a means to a relationship with God, but it is a way taken by people who already have a relationship with God. That's what the invitation is here today. It's not a set of rules, but it's a guide toward into a deeper relationship with the God who wrote it. Look at verse um, 13. Keep your servant also from willful sins, that they may not rule over me. Verse 12, but who can discern their errors? Forgive my hidden faults, right? The word of God, yes, it exposes, yet it opens up the scabs in your life, but it's not simply there to point the finger. It's not simply to make you feel bad. It's meant to get deep into those areas to bring about forgiveness, right? And not only has the power to expose, it has the power to heal. It has the power to forgive, right? This is where uh, this is what it means to be in a life-changing relationship with Jesus. One pastor I really respect said this. He said, the word of God, or Christianity, is for moral failures, right? He said, get real, we're all moral failures, right? We're all moral failures. But the word of God comes and says, listen, God, I bring my heart before you because there's things in my life I cannot even discern. There are sins in my heart that I don't even see. Help me to see what they are. Forgive me for the things that I don't see. Give me strength, verse 13, for the sins that I know about, my willful sins. And ultimately, what a great prayer to end this, to end this sermon within this psalm with. May the words of my mouth match the thoughts in my heart. May the words of my mouth and the thinking or meditation be pleasing in your sight, Lord, right, Yahweh, my rock and my redeemer. Amen? Amen. Stand with me, let's pray. My Lord, my God, I come to you this morning in the company of my... Uh, my church family, my, my brothers and sisters in Christ, students, young and old in this room, and we, we just come before you and acknowledge, Lord, there's not a perfect 
uh, person among us. We are all sinners, uh, Lord, before you, and there is nothing hidden from your sight. But Lord, we are so grateful that we serve a God who loves us, who is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, who runs its circuits, who goes from heaven to earth in a manner of speaking, to come after us, not only to help us see what we don't see about ourselves, but to bring about true transformation, true healing, true change. God, we open our lives to you this morning. Only you know, Lord, where we need change in our lives today. Only you know our hidden faults and our secret sins. But I pray, Lord, that all of us, from young to old, to, from young in the faith to mature in the faith, all of us, would have a more grown-up relationship with God's word. We would see that you've given us everything we need um, to live the life that you've intended, Lord. Help us, uh, Lord, to be open to you changing us through your word today. And Lord, I do pray in this moment for our country, the United States of America. I'm grateful uh, for the many blessings and benefits you have given me and given us that we can stand here without compromise and we can talk about um, the word of God and we are so grateful for that. But Lord, we are a country in turmoil. We are a country in conflict. We are a country, Lord, that is divided, um, Lord, over many things. And I pray that in the midst of this world that is very broken, that you would use us, people who know you, people who have the hope within us, a living hope, Lord, to be um, light in a dark world, to be salt and truth in a, in a messy place, to be your instruments um, of grace and truth uh, to, to a world that is um, looking for answers. Help us, Lord, I pray. Help our country, I pray. Give our, our president, our, 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 our everyone that serves in this nation, um, uh, give them um, your favor and wisdom. And we just pray for your healing and for the gospel of Jesus uh, to be um, proclaimed in this land. In Jesus' name, amen.